Hi, and welcome to the third podcast episode of The Postmodern Family. I'm Felipe. And I'm Lillian. And this is the third in a three-part series in which we catch you up on our background, where we were born, how we grew up, how we met, and now our first few years of marriage leading up to um, kind of present day. So The birth of our daughter. The birth of our daughter, yeah. Which so, was three years ago, so no, not present day. <laughs> well, present day epic. The present day era, which is the post-daughter era. Okay. It brings us up to, the, you know, we're in that era, so I... Well, there's still in The post-daughter era is a, is a different era than the pre-daughter era. Anyway, let's get going. So, we're going to talk about... We were married... Um, what was it? Um, no, it must have been four years before our first daughter, our daughter was born. Yeah. Right? Um, but so then back that up, the pregnancy period. So we were married three years before we got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And those three years were um, were interesting. So you want to talk a little bit about them? Okay. So we first um, moved into Maryland after we got married. Mm-hmm. And Felipe got his first job. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just started looking around at what kind of job opportunities there were. And since I was a teacher, I um, applied for some teaching jobs in the area. But because I wasn't of that state, I, um, because I got my certification in New York State, there are some difficulties transferring or even uh, testing to get the certification in Maryland. So that first year, I... For my career-wise, I was doing kind of part-time work and um, and not really getting traction in terms of teaching, but I was definitely getting traction in terms of performing. So I started, I joined some professional choirs and I was singing, getting paid for singing. So that was, um, in terms of uh, responsibilities and such, I think... We both were working, and the times that I were out, like I was out of work, I guess during mm-hmm. the day, I just like wasted my life like <laughs> watching TV and stuff at yeah. home. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's really different because I didn't feel the expectation to upkeep the house or. Uh, cook or iron his clothing. So there was a clash of expectations yes. from the beginning, basically. I come, you know, in my in my side of life, the, the the traditional Latin American side of life, the women are very diligent about keeping an orderly house and cooking and tending to the home, basically. And uh, she wasn't. Doing that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was doing like the minimum required, you know, like making sure the toilets yeah. are okay. And <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I remember frequently coming home and thinking, man, this place is a mess and I'm <laughs> upset because you're not doing what I expect you to do. Yeah, so in terms of teaching, I wasn't doing a lot of work during the day. So I, I should have been using that time to make the house, like you say. Mm. But I just didn't have that expectation. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that I, I had that habit growing mm-hmm. up because my parents were so focused on us doing well in school that, you know, we didn't really spend that many t- not much time doing house chores and things and learning to cook and stuff. So I was still learning to cook. 
So you were basically a modern woman, basically, marrying a, you know, traditional-minded man. Yeah, yeah. And I was just focused on building up my career and seeing how I could make more money in certain areas. So, yeah. um, so the first, so that was a huge problem in the beginning. <laughs> the second problem in the beginning was that we were from, well, basically, we couldn't find a church mm-hmm. that we agreed with. And then we were also trying to figure out what we believed individually mm-hmm. and how that worked together. Mm-hmm. Because it because um Felipe actually never really uh warmed up to the kind of church that I was going to in university. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to find some middle ground and we're looking at Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. And um newlyweds in a new city. Mm-hmm actually had lots of trouble finding a community of people. And talk about like why that that's important because maybe a lot of the listeners don't understand what life looks like where church is central mm. to, you know, a married couple's life. I mean, it's def like college and um university campus life is a kind of a microcosm of that because you realize that the people that you hang around influence you mm-hmm. and oftentimes if you had roommates who were Christian, then you can, you held each other to a standard. Um, and so you could keep each other accountable. Whereas if you weren't Christian and you had different religions or secular and atheists or people, then they wouldn't share any sort of standard with you. And you couldn't keep each other accountable. You couldn't say you can't do this because they might say, yes, I can. This is what I believe. This is what I think is right. So, at least in a Christian context, you could find more harmony in terms of living and situations and etc. So, we, I felt like I wanted to find a community though. I mean, that just to make friends, um, people who are of the same age and the same life stage. And we were just an island in their first year. Yeah, that's right. We were just left to ourselves, Mm -hmm. young, you know, newlywed couple of different traditions in terms of male female roles mm-hmm. and so it was um you know there was a lot of tension there we had many late nights yeah um, so i slept on couch a number of times <laughs> I think not the... because you kicked me out but because i left yeah. i was just like i can't take this i think the main problem is that even though in our marital counseling we were told not to have any expectations we still both carried expectations, yeah, and right. I think myself more than him, because one of my big expectations is that if someone is, if someone loves me, then they're going to want to please me, mm-hmm. and so any time where I felt like uh, Felipe was deliberately not pleasing me because he didn't want to do something, or he didn't agree with it... I felt like it was his way of telling me that he didn't love me, and then that just makes me treat him bad, and then it just spirals down yeah. from there. Yeah. Basically, you had expectations about how to be loved. Right. And you, in, in, your, in your mind, it seemed like to be loved meant to be pretty constantly catered to. Yes, yeah. And, and for me, being loved meant... Um, yeah, cater, but respect me mainly. Respect me in keeping house and order. So and I had a big problem with submitting, I think. Yeah. Any sort of... 
Uh, the big the big things I felt like I could submit to like what city we're gonna move to etc. Mm. But I felt like the small things like your request to have a clean house or your request mm. for me to iron your clothes. I think <laughs> I just didn't want to submit to that because I yeah. just didn't feel like I wanted to do it or I wasn't mm. good at it or made some sort of excuse. And that was my way. No, of and it was an element that it was beneath you. I think that you had gotten education and advanced degrees, and I wasn't made to iron clothing. Basically, <sighs> kind of. I remember. No, I, I enjoyed. I remember enjoying it in the beginning because this is like a wifely duty. But then I, I wasn't good at it. So then I remember I convinced you that steaming clothes was like the way to yeah, go. Yeah, so yeah. then I would steam your clothes and then after a while I didn't even steam your clothes anymore. I don't remember why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. So yeah, there was a clash of expectations and a clash of a clash of approaches and even though we had premarital counseling, we were basically left to fend for ourselves. Yeah, but I think the great thing about the premarital counseling that we did go through is that we knew that we knew the right marriage path. wasn't just a temporary thing, and it yeah. wasn't really self-serving. Mm. I think we knew that in the beginning, that it wasn't going to serve yourself. Even though we were acting out in self-serving Yeah, ways. and I think this, it just takes a while to like get used to that mm. and, and understand what it means and what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And one of the other reasons talking about finding a community is to find people who are living that out for you, Mm -hmm. that you can emulate. Mm -hmm. So being left alone, you're kind of like, okay, who am I emulating? How do I model a selfless marriage of servanthood? And it was, we had to sort it out on our own. And honestly, that first year of marriage is kind of a blur. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what we did most days. Watch TV. <laughs> and whereas I feel like if we had some church that we were going to, at least there would be some memorable moments of, you know, mm-hmm. where they would do big events and things like that. So yeah. whereas when we finally found a church in the, in Maryland that we really enjoyed and we got plugged in and we did, mm-hmm. um, we, we really grew in it. We had so many friends. I have so many fond memories of that. Mm-hmm. And I can remember us as married couple more whereas mm. that first year it's just gone i i don't know what we did with our time yeah yeah except the fact that there were many many instances where we were fighting or we wouldn't go to bed together because mm. we you know we let the sun set on our anger i remember thinking mm. that guiltily like oh i can't believe we're not resolving this but i don't want to resolve it i'm mad at him yeah I mean, and when it's 3 in the morning and you have to go to work the next day, it's kind of like, how long are you going to wait to try to resolve this before you, you know, you're back the next day at work? So, yeah, that first year or so was really quite challenging. And then, but with that, yeah, like you said, we found a church home, and that really kind of was a puzzle piece that started making things better, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you found a community of wholesome marriages and... You know, people that you could emulate and friends and the, our attention wasn't just focused on each other. Yeah, yeah. We, it's like, um, you know, like they say that um, a an idle man is easy, easily turns to evil because you're just sitting there thinking about nothing but mm-hmm. yourself. You're not doing anything. You're not busy in your life. So you, you can easily turn to wicked things. Yeah. So that, that, that church that we ended up going to 
we, um, I actually became a, a teacher for that, mm. the church school there. Yeah. And that really got me plugged in, obviously. And, and then I was also quite busy, very busy. Yeah. So things um, got really busy really fast. And you went away for basic training for nine weeks, right? Was it? Um, it was, I think, 10. It was so long. So, yeah, so I signed up for the National Guard. So I went to the Army National Guard. I went to basic training. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, we were just less than two years married, I mm -hmm. think. And I went off for basically over two months. Yeah. And, and um, I, I think that was, it was so good that I had just started a full-time job because mm -hmm. I just focus on working and I didn't think too much about anything else yeah and then writing you letters and waiting for responses and things like that yeah um yeah but, so that was good that I was I had that church community they really mm. took care of me um and then I also had that full-time job yeah. teaching yeah and on the side still singing yeah in choirs yeah so I mean I had in in the U.S. it's it's a good situation I had a full-time job but if you volunteer for, like, like you might call it here, Home Guard in the UK, it's the National Service, the National Guard, while you're away, um, they may, you know, the good companies keep your pay. They make sure they, they make sure you're, you don't take a knock in your earning while you're in training or deploy or anything. So it was really great. And it was a really incredible experience um, being slammed into a situation with, you know, younger guys and people from all walks of life and all parts of the country and you're you know all smashed into this little dormitory area and physically brutalized um and and it just the the level of camaraderie and the growth that i experienced in that situation was it was incredible it was great there was a measure of toughness that i didn't know i had and um came back thinking you know this is this is awesome and um we we then I think that was sort of two years into the marriage. Now I'd come back, and I think that's when we started to try to get pregnant. When I came back from from basic, mm -hmm. and um, that was a struggle, right? I mean, we trying to get pregnant was a really we weren't trying before. I mean, we weren't you know we weren't not we weren't aggressively stuck not you know we, we weren't, weren't trying we yeah we weren't trying before yeah. But after you got, got back, we decided we would start trying to have a child. And um, and it was really, yeah, it was very difficult for mm -hmm. us. So having known that, you know, we had, I think at that point, two years of marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, we weren't super careful. So we thought, you know, maybe it could have happened by then, but nothing happened. Yeah. And then, um, so then by the end of three years of trying... Or after what? Uh, sorry, third year of marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, we we still hadn't gotten pregnant, and it was one of those things where, it, for those of you out there who have struggled with with infertility, uh, you start to see all the all the babies around you, yeah. and all the couples who have babies, and all the ones that seem to not deserve their babies. <laughs> from our have, perspective, from your yeah, perspective. from from you. That's what you start thinking, right? It's mm -hmm. like. How come that person has like four children and doesn't doesn't make very much money, doesn't want them, you know, is, mm. or or treats them badly, mm. and then here we are, we don't have any children, but we want to have them, you yeah. know, and we have lots of money that couldn't cover this, you know, one child that we would want yeah. to have. So, 
So it was, yeah, a very trying time in which we asked, you know, we asked God desperately for, for children, and we prayed and prayed, and we had people praying for us, people praying for us, and it was a real answer to prayer when we got pregnant mm -hmm. um, with our with our daughter mm -hmm. for the first time, and it was just an incredible experience um, getting to that point, mm -hmm. and. Yeah. That's when we, you know... That the you know, I, I would say that that was probably the first struggle we've ever had. I mean, in, in all of my life almost. Like, yes. having... I've never experienced that kind of in, inability and, and capability. And then yeah. just not sure if you can trust God for what he says he is. And, and then feeling jealous when other people get pregnant yeah. or have babies. Yeah. So, I, I remember thinking, like... You know, of all, why, why us? Why us? Yeah. Why are we the ones who we can do like this, this? We can do that. We can. Do, we're so great at this and that. We des quote unquote deserve to get pregnant, mm -hmm. um, but we can't. And it it really humbled us. Yes. I remember many tearful nights, um, where month after month there was no the period. You you know the the cycle would come mm -hmm. and we would think, what's you know. What are we doing? Is it is it punishment? Is it mm -hmm. is it for all the sins that we've committed in the past? Yeah. And what really encouraged us was when people would say and point to the stories in the Bible where uh, children who were prayed for and really asked for, but they were delayed. So, for example, the story of Isaac, mm. um, that they were very special ones. You know mm -hmm. that they were they were just being they were. God was waiting for the perfect time mm -hmm. for that. And and so it gave us encouragement that maybe this child that we're praying and hoping for and hasn't come yet mm -hmm. is for a really good purpose. Mm -hmm. And and a part of that purpose, I think, is growing us spiritually because we went through this kind of trial yeah. and and found lots of comfort in each other. I think we grew as a married couple then, too. Yeah. yeah. Facing a, a trial together that wasn't something that we introduced to each other, <laughs> but it was that thing against both of us. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah, a bonding experience, and then yeah, then you um, we got pregnant, and that was completely life changing. Absolutely. Um, so when we first got pregnant, uh, we were just the regular new parent, you new know, parents to be. And got the OB, like the doctor straight away and mm. um, for appointments and um, things were going along quite smoothly. But we started to take classes mm. uh, on pregnancy and I found, I was just Googling how to avoid a, cesare a cesarean section and the term natural birth kept coming up. And then as I Googled natural birth, the term Bradley method kept coming up. Mm. So we ended up um, going with this method called the Bradley method also called the husband coached childbirth but before that we had watched that doc that uh, oh, Ricky yes, Lake documentary Ricky Lake. that's what triggered it all I thought yeah someone recommended we watch that who was it I can't remember I don't remember but it like, showed up on our Netflix we had been watching television like every night like that yeah. was a thing right and um so we watched this documentary even before we got pregnant and it was eye-opening to this idea that... The business of birth, right? Yes, the business of being born. Oh, sorry. By Ricky Lake. 
And it, yeah, it introduced us to the idea that hospitals probably don't have your best interest or the baby's best mm. interest in mind because they are a business yeah. and they want to make more money. Unfortunately, that may yeah. mean pushing you out earlier than That's et cetera. Right. Or birth to be on schedule, like in a, like a factory line and, yeah. and you to vacate a bed as soon as possible. Yeah. So as we were taking our Bradley method classes, we started to realize that the doctor we had chosen had really high cesarean rates and the hospital we had chosen had really high C-section rate. So we started looking around, looking around and found, um, we tried to stay within our insurance and the insurance did cover some birthing centers, but the birthing centers were an hour away, uh, one to the north and one to the south. They were like, neither of them were close enough for us. And then, so then we actually looked into having a home birth. Hmm. And Felipe at first was really opposed to the idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did I ever convince you, right? Um, I think it was meeting the, the midwife that, that we ended up having. I, and I, I guess we didn't even know that it was, I think it was illegal or something for home birth midwives to perform it. To, to claim that they were presi- they were presiding over, or not presiding, but attending, attending. a birth as a midwife. Yeah. Yes, it's not legal. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, they if they were found out, they could get their license taken away. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think it was just by chance that there was a midwife who was a member of our church. Yeah. And we she, we knew she was a midwife, so we just kind of asked her for suggestions. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, well, I do home births, and mm-hmm. we should just meet and chat about it. And I have a group in Pennsylvania, actually, she where had it a is lot allowed. Of so Amish she, people. Yeah. She did a lot of deli- um, births for Amish people in Pennsylvania and Delaware, I think, mm-hmm. where it's legal. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, after we met her... Uh, met up with her and just asked, you asked her a ton of questions. Yeah. And she was just so knowledgeable and so yeah. experienced that we felt really confident with that decision. Yeah. And thank God that we decided on a home birth because I went into labor at 39 weeks while Felipe was on a work trip, four hour drive away. Mm. Yeah. Which was crazy. Yeah, so her, it being our first um, child and our first birth. I think Lillian didn't really recognize the the early signs of birth. I think she was kind of thinking that it was um, Braxton Hicks. These yeah, these con- these Fake pre-birth contractions. contractions that are like precursors. So when um, when someone asked me, "Oh, can you make a, a business trip down Virginia?" and um, I asked her about it, she said, "Yeah, first babies usually come late, between forty and forty-one weeks anyway," and. Um, I don't feel anything. And, and the labors are on average 12 to 14 hours. So yeah. four hours, you could just drive back and That's we'll have right. a baby That's right. It'll be after. safe. Yeah. So I decided to take the chance and I took the trip. And, um, you know, we're talking on my drive down and she calls me. I think it was like the first time was like an hour in. She says, oh, I'm feeling a little uh, contraction. Not a little, just a little hardening of my, my belly. And I think it's a Braxton Hicks or something that worry about but you know I'm just letting you know and then um, after that first call where she said that there were more calls after that saying the same thing basically I felt another one of these and I started timing them 
And I think it was like after the third call like that, where I said, okay, uh, you, we, I'll call Diane and we'll send her over just to check up on you and make sure that it's okay. And so I did that. And then I think it was just as I was arriving at the hotel um, for my business trip, she calls me and she's like, yeah, she's like in pain, like this is real labor. And um, Diane's like, uh, I have to cut that, but yeah. It's okay, I guess. Um, the, um, the midwife has arrived. And so I turn around and head back home. And so what was a four-hour trip, I speed my back. mind out. I, I made it in like two and a half. You made it back in three. Three, three hours. Um, all the while on FaceTime with a friend of Lillian's who was at the birth and doing photography at the birth at, at our house. She held the phone and I was watching it as I drove like a hundred miles an hour through the freeway. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching, and she's holding the baby as best she can to make sure that holding I'm Holding it in, not yeah. pushing it out. Not pushing so it. So by the time, yeah, so it was only about two hours from the first call where I said I feel a little uncomfortable to when Felipe had the midwife come over. Two hours. And then the midwife, once she came, I told her I, I really feel like I need to push. And so she checked me. And I was completely dilated. Mm -hmm. So at that point was when, like, Felipe was three hours away. Mm -hmm. So you had turned around around an hour in there. Yeah. And, um, and so three hours away, I decided, or actually, I think the midwife helped me decide. She was just like, just blow through the contractors. You don't have to push. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of listened to her, and I also thought, oh, that'd, that'd be good if, we, if, we, if he can make it. <laughs> so I'm there blowing through every contraction instead of holding my breath. Mm -hmm. And three hours go by, and I, and I decide, this is it. I just can't <laughs> stop anymore. I, the, this baby is coming out. So Felipe missed the birth by ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But that was fine, because he still got to cut the cord and mm -hmm. skin to skin and everything like that. So yeah. we had a home birth, water birth, the, the birthing pool. Mm -hmm. And right after that, the placenta came out, and... The, the cord was cut, and they transferred me up to my bedroom, and there was our newborn baby. Yeah. Happy, tucked away, very quiet. She came out, she just kind of looked around. And yeah, very she, aware. Yeah, very aware, and she was, I felt like she was big, but she was quite small. She was like six, six pounds, pounds something. something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that, that just started the... the complete change of living intentionally i think we up until that point we had been kind of coasting yeah and after the child after having the baby you start thinking what should we do next what what can we do that will make this baby grow up the best way possible yeah. Yeah. and so we started to question everything we did what we ate, you know, where, how, what kind of products we use in the house, um, how to treat her, um, mm -hmm. what kind of discipline does, does a child need, what kind of education, what kind of music, what kind of television, yeah. everything gets questioned. Yeah. And so I feel like that was the beginning of our awareness of living with really high self-awareness. Yeah. Self-awareness and awareness of the culture around us yeah. and of the values that the culture has. I think before we were sort of passive consumers mm -hmm. of, of the culture 
and while we had our own set of values and we would resist what we would consume in TV and all that, it was we would still just be passively mm-hmm. consuming it. But now there was like a a uh, you know a sense that we're not going to be passively consuming. Yeah, anymore. and that goes for things just like standard things. Like for example, the birth itself. I mean, we mm-hmm. having chosen a home birth. I mean, that was kind of crazy. A lot of people thought we were crazy, especially since it was our first child. Mm-hmm. And I think your mom too. Was just she like... was really nervous. She didn't say anything though mm-hmm. until afterwards. She was like, "Oh, thank God it worked out." But I was really nervous for you guys. <laughs> Um, it's, and so we got into the habit of not even telling a lot of our, our friends or coworkers mm. anything that we were planning a home birth Yeah. because it's just so kooky to them. But for us, it was definitely the right choice because I wouldn't have yeah. been able to make it to the hospital, drive myself or find a taxi in time to get mm. over there. Um, so I was really pleased with the whole experience mm-hmm. and, um, Yeah. Yeah, so in the, she, yeah, she was born and life changing completely. They say I know it's cliche to say that, but it it is truly life changing and fatherhood and motherhood has been the greatest experience ever. I mean, there's nothing that can describe, you know, the the feeling of holding your child in your arms and mm-hmm. the protect the you know, the feeling that you protect them and you nurture them. And one of the things that I think that we knew and did well off from the very beginning was that we knew that we were each other's first priority mm-hmm. because I think sometimes yes the experience of a child is so amazing that they actually make the child the first priority yeah and you people seem to forget that without uh the husband and wife together as a mm-hmm. unit there would be no child right mm-hmm. so you still have to focus on your marriage and your relationship um, yeah. primarily, even though you're, you're, you're raising this child. Um, so I think that's an interesting balance that a lot of people miss out on because it's easy to just start putting the child on a pedestal yeah. and saying, we need to meet this child's needs, every, yeah. every need, you know, yeah, and kind right. of like let the partners one go on the wayside. Yeah. It seems like a lot of marriages break down because kids become priority in the marriage could mm-hmm. become the the end all of the marriage and they run the marriage almost mm-hmm. and i think that our daughter has really learned that uh, she's secondary that she's secondary and that's a good way because it she knows what the structure is yeah and she, she needs the, the boundaries yeah and they thrive on the boundaries yeah so i think that's why she doesn't act out like most children do in public and things like that um, sure, she acts out at home sometimes, um, yeah. but she knows better. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was um, very soon there after her birth where we we moved to the UK. I mean, she wasn't even a year old. That's she right. was um, yeah. nine months old, I think, mm-hmm. when we packed up and and came over here. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the decision to come here it's there's many layers to it. Um, Many, yeah, many. that'll be another podcast. But yeah, that'll be another podcast. So, but anyway, that's that's really that brings us up to the kind of the current situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, if you have any questions, if you have any thing you'd like to know, do let us know. Um, subscribe to the podcast. We're gonna keep talking, and I think as if you've gotten a taste of the first three podcasts, it's gonna be 
is going to be deeper layers of who we are and what we think and maybe even get into current events and how society is and more culture but there'll be there'll be deeper topics and uh, I'd like to think that the the uh, the vlog is like this is what we're living this is the fun time the great time we're having or this is the challenges we're actually facing in a very visual and fast-paced way and the podcast is going to fill in some of the meat and some of the foundation behind what you see there so on behalf of the postmodern family we see you next time thanks bye, bye.